0: I want to add my welcome. Good morning everybody. So glad that you are here today and I also want to give a shout out to Janetta Hughes. Janetta, where did you end up? So Little hand up there. Hi there, Janetta. Hand up again. I want to welcome Janetta. Janetta is one of our retired Lake City missionaries and we're so glad to see you today. Have great memories of being in your home in Alaska and the uh, amazing uh, I think it was Berry Crisp that you made and served us. and. Uh, Flying around Alaska with Kenny was, was a, a great treat as well. So, love that you're here with us today. Welcome. So, we're in week number two in our new series, Rebuild, Life Lessons from Nehemiah. As I mentioned last week, the sermon series hits home for everybody in one way or another. For leaders, and most of us will be leaders in some realm at some point in our lives. Great lessons to be more effective leaders for the Lord for churches like ours in the midst of a building project great lessons to help us avoid pitfalls and problems and for every believer there are other life lessons that we need to observe and learn through the life of this man Nehemiah and today we're going to drill down on the subject of prayer how to pray with power prayer is one of the big themes in Nehemiah and I believe it's actually the secret of Nehemiah's effectiveness as a leader Uh, The prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1 is the first of, guess how many? Twelve prayers we're going to read in in the book of Nehemiah. So the book begins with a prayer in Persia and it ends with a prayer in Jerusalem. Prayer is what gives Nehemiah his perspective. It widens his horizons. It sharpens his visions. Gives him the wisdom that he needs. It calms his anxieties. Nehemiah's public life was the outflow of his personal life, which is steeped in and shaped by a lifestyle of prayer. And I want to suggest this morning that Nehemiah went through this process of prayer that has great application and relevance to you and to me today. So please turn with me in your Bible, if you haven't already, to Nehemiah chapter 1, and uh, please download your sermon notes on, you guessed it, your app, or pull them out of your bulletin, all right? Sermon notes will help you. Last week we studied the first four verses of Nehemiah and before we get to the actual prayer itself I want to review the historical context briefly with you. As cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, Nehemiah had a great job. He had intimate access to royalty. He had political standing in the empire. He had a place to live in the palace itself. It was a cushy job that provided everything he needed and far more. And yet when one of his brothers return from a road trip to Jerusalem, verse 2 says that Nehemiah wanted to know exactly how the exiles were doing in Jerusalem. He asked for a firsthand report about the remnant. Let's read that. In fact, that's verses 1 to 3. Nehemiah 1, 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel. Excuse me that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the Proverbs who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. The city walls and gates were Mandatory. They were critical in that day for the protection of a people, for the protection of a city. And even though Nehemiah had never been in Jerusalem, he'd heard stories about it. He, he knew how important it was to God and to God's people. And he knew that, that his ancestors had been led away in chains when God allowed Babylon to destroy it. And so he hears this report that the survivors in Jerusalem are in great trouble and disgrace, And as he pictures the shame and the vulnerability of the city of David, he could barely stand it. He's broken hearted over the problems he hears about in Jerusalem. Which raises the question for us today, what needs do we see and do we hear about that break our hearts? Where do we see things that need rebuilding that, that we really desire to help out with and respond to? See, this sermon series is called Rebuild, Life Lessons from Nehemiah, and it's about repairing things that are broken and restoring the, and um, building up things that have been torn down. And really it touches every area of our lives, I believe, from our marriages to our careers to our relationships to our spiritual lives. There's application for us here. And I believe every one of us has probably something that needs rebuilding, Every one of us has something that needs to be restored and renewed by the power and by the grace of God. So let's discover what it means for God to rebuild our lives, our families, our church, our community, even our nation. By the way, as far as our church is concerned, one application, obviously, of our study of Nehemiah is our transform expansion project, facility expansion. We need to do some building here so that we can have even greater impact for Christ in this community. We're out of space. We're at four services. We're continuing to grow. And out of space on Sundays, but also on Tuesdays for Mops and Wednesday for Awana and Thursdays for Food Bank and Re-Engage. And we can learn some lessons from Nehemiah about how to respond to our own needs right here. So Nehemiah hears about the problems in Jerusalem, and he responds, and here's a summary of it, verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The first thing Nehemiah did when he heard that report was he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed for days. Notice that phrase, for days. A good leader does more than pray, but he doesn't do anything until he begins with prayer. And by the way, if you compare Nehemiah 1-1, which we just read, with Nehemiah 2, verse 1, which we'll see in a couple of weeks, you will notice that he prayed for four months. And that tells us something about the kind of leader Nehemiah was. He made prayer a priority. This was not just a casual prayer either, as you can tell by these words. And I believe that the prayer we're going to look at today is a sample of what he prayed over those four months. It's a pattern for us about how to pray today as well. If you want to know how to pray, study Nehemiah, study particularly this prayer in chapter 1. So, ready to look at four secrets of powerful prayer? Let's dig in. Here's number one. Pray with conviction about God's character with conviction about God's character. The first thing is to base your prayer on the character of God. Nehemiah followed a very common pattern that we see in Scripture where people ask God to do something for them. They present a basis for it. They say, here's the reason, God, I'm asking for this. They often say, God, I want you to do this for me because... And they add the reason... And a key question that that we should ask ourselves when we pray is, why? Why am I asking God for this? Why do I want God to answer this prayer for me? The Bible teaches us that the right kind of praying is praying with conviction about the character of God himself. Don't just say, God, this is what I need, or God, this is what I want, or I hope you will do this. Tie it to the character of God. How does it connect with who God is, first of all? That is the greatest reason to give God for answering a prayer. I'm expecting you to answer this prayer, God, because of who you are. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you are powerful. Lord, you are a great and awesome and a loving God, and this will just demonstrate your glory. Nehemiah comes to God and he says, God, I want you to do something for your people way over in Jerusalem. Let's read his prayer now, verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. He focuses first on the character of God and three things he based his prayer on. He says, you are great, that's God's position He says, God, you are awesome. That shows his power and his majesty. And then he says, you keep your promises and your steadfast love. He's talking about the character of God. He's faithful. So he begins by acknowledging who God is. By the way, that's what worship is. Praise is when we thank God for what he's done, but worship is when we acknowledge who God is. And Nehemiah is saying, God, I know our situation In Jerusalem is a mess but I'm I'm just reminding myself of who's in control I'm reminding myself that you are sovereign and and those problems over there they may be great but God you are so much greater you are so much higher you're so much bigger than any of these problems and so he starts off by getting the right perspective and in looking for God to answer our prayers today that's the place to begin base your request on God's character God, I want you to answer this that I'm asking for because of who you are. So remember, Nehemiah's boss was the king. He was the greatest and mightiest man on earth in his day, but compared to God, who is he? He's nothing. And friends, when we cast our eyes on the character of God in our prayers, it helps us to have the proper perspective about what we're praying. That's the first thing. Here's the second key to praying with power. Number two, pray with confession of your sin, confession of sin. The second step, if you want God to answer your prayers, is to confess your sins. The Jews had disobeyed God, God had warned them, if you don't obey me, you're going to lose the land that I gave to you, and they did, and they lost it. Because they disobeyed, they lost their land, they lost the city of Jerusalem, they lost the temple. Solomon's temple was destroyed and they were taken into foreign captivity, all because of their disobedience. So let's read Nehemiah's confession. We'll pick it back up again in the middle of verse 6. Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant, Moses. Part one of Nehemiah's prayer is to acknowledge who God is. God, you're awesome, you're great, you keep your promises. Part two is to admit who I am, who Nehemiah admitted who he was. God, I'm a sinner. I admit that. Notice that he uses the word I or we five times in this verse, verse 7. I confess, he uses the word myself, my father's house, we have sinned, we have not obeyed. He wasn't even around when Israel went into captivity. It's believed that Nehemiah was born in captivity, so uh, the Israelites had been in captivity the land of their captivity for 70 years, and yet he's including himself in this prayer of national confession. He's saying, my fa- I've been part of the problem, my family's been part of the problem. So there's a personal side of confessing sin, but there's also a national side of confessing sin. And we don't really probably know that much, at least I'm not super f- familiar with the national side of confessing sin. As Americans, we're much more individualistic, aren't we? We're taught to confess my sins. That's a good thing. That's biblical. But both are biblical. And Nehemiah gives an example here of more of the national, the corporate confession. If you're a leader, even just the leader of your home, you have a role of corporate confession. A couple of weeks ago, I had the honor of opening in prayer in Olympia at the March for Life on the Capitol steps. And one of the things I did was I included a prayer of national confession because it's biblical. You know, the older I grow in the Lord, the the more I am increasingly aware of my own sinfulness. But also the more I am aware of God's graciousness, God's forgiveness. I'm so thankful for that. Amen. Well, it's one thing to have a firm conviction about who God is. It's another thing to actually confess our sin. I think many of us probably rarely get that far. We might feel bad about our sins or sorry that... Uh, They were exposed, but we probably aren't, at least I confess, I'm not real good at confessing sin. And Nehemiah is a great example for us here. He doesn't try to candy coat his sin. He owns it and he confesses it to God. And we might as well, because God is omniscient. God sees everything. God knows every sin. I read a great story this week about some Boeing employees who decided to steal a life raft from one of the airplanes that they were working on in the plant and they were successful in getting it out of the plant, but they forgot one thing about that life raft. Shortly after that they took it out for a float on the Stillaguamish River and they were quite surprised to see this Coast Guard chopper come down over the river right toward them and then they remembered that the life raft had an emergency locator on it that that activated when it was um, inflated and so needless to say they're no longer Boeing employees. See, trying to hide our sins from God is impossible. He sees everything. He's omniscient. He He knows it all. Numbers 32 reminds us that you can be sure your sins will find you out. And friends, we need to recognize all sin, whether it's blatant, open sin, or whether it's just careless sin, or whether it's even sin of omission. We need to acknowledge it before God and confess it to Him. Are you trying to sort of ignore or hide anything from God today? That will affect your prayers. How much better to confess quickly than to think God's not going to notice, God's not going to care. We need to pray with conviction about God's character. We need to pray with confession of our sin. third, we need to pray with confidence, with confidence in God's promises. Well, Nehemiah does spend time in repentance and confession. He doesn't wallow for a prolonged introspection of his failures. He owns what he did wrong. And then he expresses this great confidence in God's promises. Let's look at that, verses 8 to 10. Remember the word that you have commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them... Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. He's talking about Jerusalem. Bring them back home. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah is praying, God, I want you to remember the promise that you gave to Moses you gave through Moses your servant. Can you imagine saying that to God? God I want you to remember what you said. That's what he's praying. He's reminding God of what he said in the past. He's saying Lord you warned Moses if we sinned against you we'd lose the land but you also promised that if we repented you'd bring us back. And throughout the Bible you find God's people reminding him about what he said in the past. God. Uh, David did that, and Abraham did that, and Moses did that, and Nehemiah does that here. Virtually all the prophets did that. God, I want to remind you of your promises to us. And then they'd share the specific promise. Question, does God have to be reminded of his promises? (laughs) No. Does he forget what he promised? Uh, Of course not. Then why do we do this? Why do we see this example so often? Because it helps us remember. It reminds us of what God has said and why we can have conviction about what we're praying about. I believe nothing pleases God more than we remind Him of His promises to us. Prayer is taking God at His word. It's asking God to do what He's already said He wants to do. So Nehemiah says, God, first I'm basing my prayer on who you are, and then I'm confessing who I am, I'm admitting who I am, and then I'm reminding you of what you said. Listen, there are over 7,000 promises in the Word of God just waiting to be claimed. And one of the reasons we need to read God's Word every day is so we know and remember what His promises are. Nehemiah could pray these promises because he knew them. The promises he mentioned in these verses are from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30. When was the last time you memorized promises out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy? So it might, might have been a while, but all scripture is valuable and profitable. Okay? And the point is that the power of our prayer life is determined by how well we know the promises of God. It's key. The secret of successful praying is pleading the promises of God. God, you said it, and because of what you said and, and who you are, I thank you that this is your will, and I pray with that conviction, and I'm asking you to meet this need or to do this thing. Nothing releases God's power like praying God's promises. One of my favorite promises from God about prayer is Jeremiah 33.3. 3. It says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God invites us to call upon Him so He can answer and show us great and mighty things. Some of you may have come in here today uh, tired and worn out. Prayer taps into the strength and the resources of God Himself. Others may be confused or need God's wisdom for certain things. God delights to answer our requests for wisdom. And when God is brought in on a project, it turns the impossible into the possible. Friend, are you as confident in the promises of God as Nehemiah was? If God said it in his word, you can believe it and you can stand upon it with conviction. Nehemiah knew God would keep his covenant of love with his people. He also knew that even though God didn't need his own help, that he was ready to make a commitment to be involved. And that's the fourth secret of powerful prayers. Pray with commitment to get involved with commitment, Nehemiah was going to do something about the sorry state of Jerusalem's walls and people, and he knows that without God's intervention, he can't do anything. Notice what he prays in verse eleven: "O Lord, let your ear be attended to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name." I don't think he was praying this alone; he had others involved with him. See, servants there. And give success to your servant today and grant mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah concludes his prayer by asking God to give him success when he goes into the king to ask for a favor. It's been said that prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. It's about getting God's will done here on earth. However, for God's will to be accomplished on earth, he needs his people to be available. And while Nehemiah was praying over those four months, his burden for Jerusalem was growing greater and his vision for what needed to be done became clearer. He didn't pray, God, would you send somebody? He may have, but that's not recorded for us here. Here he says, Here am I, send me, basically. He knew, but he knew that he was going to have to go in and approach the king and request a leave of absence. And so he asks God here for success, for mercy, as he goes to the king. He, he wants to see God break through, is the word he uses here on his behalf, when he makes his request to the king. In a sense, he's claiming yet another promise from Proverbs 21.1, which is, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. He knew that whatever God wanted this king to decide, that it was in God's power to make it happen. And so he's asking God to work on his behalf. And one thing that we see in Nehemiah is how again and again he assesses a problem or a situation. He's moved to be concerned about it and then he's compelled to take action. And the true measure of our concern, I think, is whether or not we're willing to make a commitment to be involved personally. Someone once said... Pray as if everything depends upon God, but then work as if everything depends upon you. And that's a good balance. By the way, did you notice the last seven words? Nehemiah says, now I was cupbearer to the king. That's his job description. Cupbearer to the king. You know, all work is honorable, or virt- most work is honorable, but this is actually a very honorable job that Nehemiah had. He, he's basically the equivalent of being in the Secret Service today. His job was protecting the king. Just as a secret service member throws himself in front of a bullet or uh, puts their life on the line in a number of different ways, the cupbearer was the person who tasted the food and the wine of the king before the king did, just to be sure an assassin wasn't trying to kill him. And Nehemiah lived in Susa, the capital city of the Media Persian Empire, which was the Washington, D.C. of its day. As the trusted advisor, basically the second in power in the kingdom, Nehemiah, or, uh, yeah, Nehemiah could have made many excuses as to why someone else should be the one to go to Jerusalem and take care of this problem. After all, he wasn't one of the religious leaders like uh, Zerubbabel or Ezra. They had got, taken groups back. He wasn't a builder. I, what did he know about building walls? Probably not that much, but he was the cupbearer to the king. But like anyone who is called by God to a specific task, the feelings of inadequacy at some point give way to the necessity of the moment. Friend, you can only start serving God where you're at. You can't wait until uh, some distant day in the future to get the job done, for that distant day is always going to seem like it's just over the horizon. So you have to start where you are and with whoever you are today. The question is not what you do, but what is your heart for God's work. No matter what has called you to vocationally understand, you need to commit yourself to serving the King of Kings. To serving the King of Kings. So I read this story about that this week in Pray Magazine. I hope you find it encouraging as well. I quote, I'm a surgical assistant, the surgeon's right-hand man. At one point in my career, I lost my passion. I wanted a job with spiritual significance, and I prayed for that. Imagine my shock when God led me to a position in plastic surgery. Why would God want me in a hotbed of vanity, I wondered. During my quiet times, though, the Lord assured me that this was part of His plan and that I should wait upon Him for direction. So I obeyed, continuing to pray that the Lord would use me in this job. The first thing I heard him say when I started my new position was, gather and pray in my name. There were only a few Christians who worked in the plastic surgery department, but I started with them. I'm going to start praying for our workplace each Monday morning, 15 minutes before we clock in, I told them. I'll be in operating room two, and I hope you'll join me. We met each week, praying for our work, for our colleagues, and for our patients. Soon we were praying boldly for opportunities to witness. By the end of the year, God had answered many prayers including 10 friends who accepted Christ as their Savior. God has blown me away with His answers and He has given me a purpose far beyond patient care. He expanded my circle of influence by transferring me to the main surgery department where I now rotate through all four surgery departments in the hospital. I've been able to start several prayer groups throughout the hospital. Each group focuses on inviting the Holy Spirit to move in their department. They encourage each other in Christ, they pray for opportunities to witness, they seek God's will, and they ask that Christ would be glorified in their work. I don't know if I'll always work in a surgery department caring for patients who are under anesthesia, but since I realized that I could advance the Kingdom of God by praying at work, I have found renewed passion. For my job, as well as, the, as for many opportunities for ministry it provides. End quote. And, friends, I don't know what all of you are doing in life today vocationally, but I do know this God wants to use you to do His work right where you're at. He really does. He wants to use you to glorify His name wherever He's placed you. And you need to begin with prayer. What are you praying for today? I want to remind you, if you want to see God answer those prayers, learn from the model that Nehemiah gives us. Pray with conviction about God's character. Pray with confession of sins. Pray with confidence in the promises of God. And pray with a commitment to get involved personally in God's work. Once a man was taking a stagecoach across our country. This was back in the 1800s. And when he went to buy his ticket, he was informed that first class seats were X amount of dollars, let's say $100. Second class seats, he found out, were 50%, so $50. And third class seats were just 25. The man walked over and looked at the stagecoach and all the seats looked the same to him, and so he went back to the office, ticket office, and he bought a third class ticket. As he found his seat on the stagecoach, he congratulated himself for saving so much money. Well after a while the stagecoach came on an area of the trail that was extremely muddy. The driver just labored to keep the stagecoach moving through the mud but after a few minutes it came to a complete stop there, bogged down by the mud. So the driver stood up and he yelled to the passengers, first class passengers please remain seated. Second class passengers get out and walk. Third class passengers. Please get out and push. <laughs> By the way, I looked it up to make sure that was really how it worked back then, and it did. And uh, you know, I think the church around the world today has way too many first-class passengers. People who just sort of sit back and let others do the work. And way too many second-class passengers as well. Those who just sort of walk away and let others get the work done. What the church needs is more third-class passengers, people who will get out and push. People who will pray and who will help the work of the church. People who will sacrifice some personal comfort and pleasure for the sake of the work of God. Each one of us needs to be personally committed to the work of his church around the world. And one of the things that I love about Nehemiah is he he, he didn't say, "Hey, there's a problem over in Jerusalem. Send somebody." He said, hey, there's a problem. If you can use me, help me. Send me. There are many ways we need to get involved in God's work. But one of the ways is in our commitment to prayer. And for that reason, today I've listed many of the ongoing prayer opportunities that we have here at Lake City. These are on your sermon notes. They're going to be on the screen as well. All right, we have a pastor's prayer team that meets... A half hour before our services on Saturday night and before Sunday morning first service. I'd love to have you be part of that. You can sign up on your communication card for that. We have a prayer focus uh, group. Um, Each week, those of you who write prayer requests for us on the communication card, those get emailed out to a group of over 100 people who pray faithfully each week for the things we write down. Excuse me, that's the prayer letter. That's sent out weekly. Prayer focus groups are the different groups that pray weekly or monthly for certain focused items. And there are six of them presently in the bulletin. They're listed every week with the times. There's a seventh one that's starting soon. There's also an email prayer chain, which is sent for sort of emergency special needs that are are very timely. And uh, you can sign up to be part of that. We have an after-service prayer team that gathers down front after each service to pray with people who come forward for special prayer. We have two or three concerts of prayer each year. Our next one is our Easter prayer outreach. That's April 2nd. It's followed by uh, three more days of prayer. And then we have a 40 Days for Life prayer event that happens twice a year, and the next one begins on March 1st. You can sign up and get more information about any of those by writing those words on your communication card today. We also have some very special prayer opportunities that are more going on right now. All right, so I'm... We've been asking you to pray about our transform, building, expansion, decisions, and provision. And we remind you about that. Uh, we have an unreached people group adoption uh, special planning day that's coming up on March 4th. We invite you to pray with that. We beg you to pray with us about who God wants us to adopt next. We have a, a special prayer mosaic that's coming up on February 25th and 26th. And you'll be hearing more about that very soon. Just some ways you can take the next step of getting involved. And speaking of that, let's talk about some other next steps, some application. Here's the first one. I want to encourage you to purpose to grow in your own personal prayer life. I think the reason that we don't pray more is because we don't think we need it. We don't think we need God's help. We're absolutely dependent on God for everything in our lives, but we don't really fully grasp that. And I want to challenge you today to choose to grow in your personal prayer life. Make a prayer list or or read a book about prayer or study the prayers of Scripture or ask someone to be a prayer partner or come to one of these prayer-focused groups. Most of all, just find a way and get started praying more. I purpose to grow in my personal prayer life in 2017. Next step two, I choose to get involved in other prayer opportunities by fill in that blank. I mean, why not choose... To show up or, or sign up for one of these prayer ministries that I just mentioned to you and let God use you. See God how God works or, or start your own prayer group at work or something, whatever it is. Pick one and try it out. I choose to get involved by... And then third, next, next step three, I will seek God for fill in the blank. We have a great group of people, a really praying church, but I think it's about 40% of the church that have actually signed up to be involved in some of these needs, praying for our church, praying for our missionaries. And uh, it really should be much more than that. The same is true for serving and giving to the Lord's work. I believe God's plan is for 100% of his people to be involved in his work in all of these ways. And so will you ask God how he wants you to be involved in his work here at Lake City? And then say, God, I will do it. Let's pray. Please bow with me. And We're going to pray a little bit different today since we looked at this sample prayer. I'm going to walk you through the four steps we just talked about. First, get one thing in mind that's a strong prayer concern on your heart, okay? A prayer request. Got that? All right. First, in your heart, let's talk to God about who He is. Before you give your request to God, God say, I want you to answer this request because of who you are. And then tell him who he is. God, you're great, you're powerful, you're forgiving. I'm going to let you take it from there. Second, God, we want to confess our sin before you today. And so uh, take a moment just to ask God to reveal anything to you that needs to change. Encourage you not to take a blanket approach like forgive all my sins, but ask for specific sins that need to be confessed. Ask him to cleanse you and forgive you. Go ahead and take it. And then third, would you claim the promises of God today? And if you can't think of one right now, I'd suggest Philippians four nineteen, which says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, for your riches in glory and your promise to meet all of our needs. And then be very specific about what you would like God to do. Lay your request out to Him. And if you're not exactly sure what you want Him to do, then ask for His wisdom and direction. And then fourth and finally, make it a prayer of commitment. God, I'm willing to be part of the answer. Use me. I will be involved however you show me. Father God, we thank you that you are the awesome and powerful God of the universe. You created everything we see and everything we can't see. and Nothing is too difficult for you. May we learn, Father, to pray with more power and to grow closer to you as we do. Grow us as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.